And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It is Wednesday, August 9th. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris on this episode. We discuss Ronald Acuna Jr., who appears to be running away with the NL MVP award here in 2023. We talk about some of the improvements he has made, most specifically a lower K rate than ever. We'll dig into some other hitters that have made similar improvements, try to figure out how exactly that can happen. This was inspired by a great Twitter question we received from one of our listeners. So we'll look at some other risers and fallers in that category and time permitting, maybe a few mailbag questions as well. Let's begin, though, with Ronald Acuna Jr. himself. You know, you don't usually see someone cut their K rate down to 12.2%. I mean, its previous low was last season, 23.6%, and maintain the amount of power that Acuna has shown us this year. There's usually some kind of trade-off. Struck out less, not going to hit as many barrels, making some weak contact. Nope, not the case here. So I started doing some digging. Look to the O-swing percentage. Is he chasing less? Nope. He wasn't a bad chaser to begin with. Hasn't changed that. Is he swinging differently? The overall swing volume? No. 45.9% this year. Career 45.4%. That's the same too. But he's making a lot more contact. And he's doing it everywhere. Both inside and outside the strike zone. Which is just incredible improvement. Which led me to a bunch of follow-up questions that we're still sort of cobbling together answers to. But... Is there a swing change? Is there an approach change? Is there a combination of those two things? Is there a third factor, some sort of off-season training, right? You've talked about uh, Donnie Ecker being a firm believer in training dirty, right? Is there something new that Acuna has added in that's enabled him to, to be a lot better? And the first thing I landed on, digging into the numbers, was that he previously could be beat in the upper part of the strike zone. And that hole has been mostly closed. You can still beat him a little bit up and away. But up and over the middle of the plate, up and in, Acuna is destroying the ball. And he didn't previously have a lot of success in those ranges. But you found some other things that kind of help explain how he's improved this much without giving up the amazing power that he brings to the table. I think it all goes hand in hand in a way. And, you know, what's most difficult is, I think, for myself and maybe many many of our listeners is like watching video and being like ooh his thing is in a different place <laughs> his hands are in a different spot yeah i mean that's that's what you're looking for but we went through and watched some video and like you did make a big change early in his career sort of 18 to 19 somewhere in there he went from having his hands sort of behind his ear to where he's now holding him sort of right out from his chest you know and so and that actually is kind of hard 
even if you start doing the like you know amateur line drawing and like look you know here because you're looking from different angles all the time so it's possible he has made a small change to where those hands are in space but it's hard for us to see because it just looks like it's not like from here you know next to his ears to like you know at his number at his letters you know how it is now uh, there, it wasn't as big a change like that. But if you're looking between 2022 and 2023, you don't see anything like that. There's nothing like, oh, that's what he's doing different. Uh, but at the same time, when you look at someone who was beat high in the zone, and you can just look at contact rates over at Fangraphs on the heat maps. Like you said, he's able to now make contact high in the zone, high and tight in a way he wasn't before. I would say that there has to be some part of this is mechanical. You know, because those are pitches that were there before that he's hitting now. He used to miss, he's hitting now. So I would say, you know, from what I know of hitting, that it probably has something to do with the ability to get on plane faster. So so somehow, you know, kind of making that, that turn in the back faster. Uh, oftentimes, you can use your torso uh, to change. Like, if you think about it, if you stick your bat out, like, that's your, that's your, that's your bat path. Like, you know, kind of like if you just, you do that practice swing, you put that bat out there, that's your bat path. If you can kind of move your, 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 your torso up and down, you kind of create an arc and that's like what you can cover. And so, you know, there's, there are things you can do with what they call side bend uh, and forward bend. There are things that the way that your torso comes through, you can create more coverage. For example, just talked to Chaz McCormick, who's pulling the ball a lot more, and he said he couldn't pull the ball before because he has this extreme closed stance, and he used to be crouched. And if you try to bring a bat through sort of high and tight from <laughs> crouched over with the with the extreme closed stance, you're like, it doesn't work. Does not so work, what did he no. do? He just became more upright. And just by standing more upright, Chaz McCormick can, you know, it's just easier, you, you feel it. And But I, I looked through the video, and I couldn't, I couldn't see that that Acuna was more upright, but I would I would just assume that there's some sort of mechanical uh, uh, change that he's made that has allowed that's or unlocked. Like he's always been a middle end guy, and now you can see that he can hit high end end too. And uh, you know there are high ball hitters around the league like Correa, Bregman. You know a lot of those guys, uh, Simeon. Those are guys that can turn on the high end end fastball and and do damage with them and. Acuna has joined them. He's a guy who can hit the ball low, and now he's joined the high ball hitters and become a very complete hitter. So there's always at least, I think, some portion of his mechanical. Yeah, so there's the mechanical aspect of it, and then there's also you know, swing decisions within the count, right? Not ending up in two-strike counts as often. So you ran a search over at Baseball Savant and tried to see, has Acuna been more effective has he been a better hitter in two strike situations and i think you kind of found what looks like a decent connection between changes in those situations and another broader group of players who are all on the k percentage improvers leaderboard because we talk about the the fan graphs year to year stat uh, grid as a good way to look at players that have changed for better or for worse in various categories and there's a lot of overlap between the k percentage improvers and the players that got better in two-strike situations. Yeah, I think the guy that unlocked this for us, uh, we were looking at Rafael Devers, who's a guy who, you know, his first few years was like a 25, 20, 27% in 2020, got it down to 21.5 in 2021, and now 
2023, Raphael Devers has a 19.7% K rate. It's one of his better numbers. It's been a gradual improvement, but when you look at some of the component stats, there's very little difference between his uh, swinging strike rates, his chase rates. He's still not, he still chases a lot. He still swings and misses a lot, but he has improved his strikeout rate even with those flaws. And so it's kind of like, how can you improve your strikeout rate if you're swinging and missing and chasing as much? Like, w- like what's the math there? And the math is, when do you whiff? <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you can somehow have a two-strike approach, I think uh, that can, can really uh, change your relationship between your swing strikes and your and your strikeout rate. And so when I ran this, the light bulb, light bulb went off because, yes, the first three guys aren't who we're talking about. They didn't show up when we were looking around. I think they, they don't play enough. They didn't... We don't know their true talent yet, so we don't know these guys. But they, they show up because they used to string and str- swing and strike so much in two-strike counts that any improvement has been a big improvement. So Shea Langoliers... Stone Garrett and Mundo Sosa collectively swung and missed at over 27% of the balls that they saw on two strike <laughs> counts last year. So it's not great. Uh, that led to a lot of strikeouts. This year, they collectively are swinging and missing at around 18, 17.8 to 18%. So they are the three biggest improvers. They are not who we're talking about because I just don't, we don't know their true talent. They're also just so far outliers and they strike, swing and strike enough that you're, that you're like, okay, yeah, you improved. You need to do that again. You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> but behind them, once you get this bias of like the biggest swing and strike rate guys out of the way, you get all the guys on our list. I mean, every single one, when you were looking at you know, swing stri- strikeout rate improvers, you put a rundown together, you put a bunch of names on it. I don't know. I'm going to blow up the rundown now because I'm going to list all these guys. <laughs> but, you know, they're just in order on this list. So Cody Bellinger went, he's the fourth biggest improver. And I bet you if I change the uh, the uh, the qualifying rate, basically, for, swing- for 2022, you'd get rid of Langoliers, Garrett, and Sosa, right? Like those guys were kind of part-time players last year. We didn't have full samples from them. So Cody Ballinger basically is the number one improver in two strike swinging strike is two strike swinging strike rate, and he went from seventeen point eight percent to nine point three, and that that improvement is the the biggest I would think in among regulars. Behind him, Torres is seventh or 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 second. Uh, you know, depending Hayward is between them. I don't know Hayward is kind of a part-time player too so if you really want to go with full-time players you go cody ballinger glaber torres michael harris luis garcia kerry carpenter uh, david peralta you know cedric mullins adolis garcia you know and uh acuna is you know in the top 15 you know and it's just those are all the names on the rundown you know like that's Mm -hmm. you know all these guys made a, a a market improvement uh, in particularly in swing strike rates on two strike counts. So I feel like, you know, that's partially that. And, and that I think is, is such an interesting thing because it is the confluence of exactly what we're talking about. It's the confluence of mechanical and approach, right? Like a two strike approach is mechanical. A lot of times you will choke up, you will re- reduce your, 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 uh, your toe tap. I think, I've seen some swings of Lacuna this year where his like 
his his leg kick or whatever is not as big. So maybe he's had a lo- a smaller leg kick in two strike counts. You know, uh, you will re- you'll reduce you know all sorts of things where you're just trying to get to the ball as quick as possible, and then your approach is to see it in certain places uh, and to just try try to go the other way, see it longer, not try to pull it out in front. And, um, you know, I think it served these guys really well. I, you know, there's a lot of... Mark Trumbo was the guy who, who told us basically what the rabbit ball era uh, players said, which is, I'd rather swing and miss and strike out and give, my next, give the next guy in line a chance to hit a homer than to weakly ground out. You know, and I think that made sense when the ball flew, you know, so easily. But now that the ball is a little bit more normal and there's so many strikeouts, I think these players have rightly realized, you know, I can't put the ball in play and have some success in in two strike counts. And it's probably going to be better for me if I do that than to just strike out again. I just pulled up Mark Trumbo's player page because I hadn't heard the name in a while. (laughs) And uh, I'm going to throw you an immaculate grid gift for some sort of future grid. Mark Trumbo had a 47 home run season for the Orioles. So if you're ever looking for the uh, low percentage, high home run total Oriole, Mark Trumbo's 2016 season is here to help you. Yeah. The the thing that I saw in the rundown, very similar to what you mentioned, the biggest improvers in K percentage other than Acuna, right? Cody Bellinger was on that list. 11.9% improvement in the K rate. He's at 15.4%. We've seen this before. Back during his MVP level seasons with the Dodgers. This is a skill that Bellinger unlocked previously and is now returned back to it. We've talked about some of the interesting things, the underlying quality of contact numbers that make projecting his future more difficult. But given what he brings to the table with his glove, given that there's a lot less swing and miss in his game again right now, his future looks a lot better today than it did this time last year. Uh, Luis Garcia got sent down by the Nats, but a 12.5% K rate. This is a guy that should be a low K percentage player. I don't know why they think he'll figure anything out at AAA. He goes down to AAA and hits for more power than he does at other levels and then comes back and kind of does a lot of the same things we've seen when he's been an up and down player for them. I saw William Contreras was a big improver. He actually was an improver in overall swing strike percentage too. So I don't know if he made the the two strike approach adjustments but overall just swinging and missing less and he's such an important part of that brewers offense not to do not, i just wanted to gloss over Luis garcia too much i don't know if uh you know uh my bias towards uh deep league <laughs> players mm. is is uh is too obvious but uh i, I don't want to gloss over him too quickly because i do feel like there are you can now identify the pieces and he can still put it together. So there's a 113 max EV and a 7.5% barrel rate in 2022 for Luis Garcia that came with a 44% uh, you know, chase rate. And then this year he's has a 34% chase rate and the max EV and the barrel rate went down. These things go hand in hand. I saw it a little bit uh, with a, a, a more accomplished player, Marcus Simeon. Uh, that I, I had hoped to talk to uh, yesterday, but didn't get to. But his max EV is down uh, two ticks. His bail rate is down, um, and uh, his chase rate is down. Uh, his swing strike rate is down, and his strikeout rate is down. So there's also just a uh, let it travel overall philosophy, uh, or a um, I'm not going to swing out of my heels at every pitch kind of uh, philosophy that can help you. Uh, it can hurt you in some ways and can help you. So I, I, I just want to say that I think that Luis Garcia 
has the chance to like, you know, at 23 years old, uh, has the chance still to come up and be able to hit the ball 112, barrel the ball 7 to 8% of the time, chase it like 35% of the time, use his natural ability to make contact, strike out maybe 15% of the time, and have league average power. If he puts all that together, you're talking about a guy who should hit 275 with 15 to 20 homers uh, and, and a non-zero stolen bases. So, you know, as bad as uh, things look for Luis Garcia this year, he's going to be on my draft and holds next year. He's going to be on my only leagues next year. He's going to be, you know, a bench player, a bench MI in 15 team leagues. Uh, I can't necessarily push him all the way to 12 and 10 team leagues, but, you know, Luis Garcia is definitely a name that uh, I will retain as, you know, as a viable uh, person to pick. Yeah, I think for the deep leagues especially, that still makes a lot of sense. I'm just a little surprised the Nats have decided to give him time at AAA because I think fixing the flaws against top-level pitching is the better long-term development decision. Um, Glaber Torres also a big improver, down to a 14% K rate, usually in the low 20s. I still can't figure out why Yankees fans get as frustrated with Glaber Torres as they do. He's a really solid player. Maybe it's that he's not a superstar. He's just very good, but you can live with this. And, you know, he has been, Glaber's been this player. Maybe if you could Frankenstein a little more barrel rate, right? Take his 2022 barrel rate with his 2023 K percentage. You could start to like, talk yourself into at least another 30 home run season. Maybe it's still in there, mm-hmm. but that's the sort of trade-off that lowering your K rate and losing some power. That's what I expected to see with Acuna when, when I was like, Oh wait, he's striking out that much less. The barrel rate must be down and it's not. And it's so, it's so amazing to, to see a player that can hold those gains. The other improvers inside the top 10 for strikeout rate. And I set the criteria at 200 plate appearances from last season and for this season. Kyle Isbell was on there, down at 19.3%. Which is where he should be, because he does not hit the ball hard. He Well, he doesn't. Kyle Isbell... Oh, he's not a zero. He's not a barreler. He's a lower-end lower barreler. He's up to 5.7%. But, 40% but he's hard a 40, hit, like, yeah, 40% can, hard hit's pretty good. Yeah, Maybe he just needs a new org at some point. doesn't walk a lot. The glove his, has to continue to be good in center field. offense in a way that doesn't help him. Yeah, so he could be another deep, deep league player that just because of his defense, he might end up with good counting stats. It's not as, to me, it's not as promising as Garcia because of the age difference, but for certain leagues, there's probably a case to at least take the shot one more time in 2024. Especially if there's like some sort of, something happens in the offseason. You know, the, 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 the outfield depth chart changes or he changes teams or something, you know, like, like there could be a team that says, you know, w- w- there's a guy on our list that's going the other way, Michael Taylor. You know, is it impossible that, you know, a team like the Twins, you know, goes in a different direction and says, we need a defensive center fielder um, and we need more contact rate? Right. And the tricky thing, so Taylor is the, you can sell out and go to your career worst career uh, K percentages, but you could also barrel the ball more than ever. And if you play great defense and your two choices are hit more barrels and be like an 85 to 90 WRC plus guy or strike out less and be a 75 WRC plus guy, one of those guys stays in the league and one of them doesn't. And I think Taylor's doing the thing that keeps him in the league a bit longer. I mean, the defense, again, is a huge factor there. 
Um, David Peralta was on the top 10 improvers list for K percentage. I still see a guy that's probably trending toward the end of his career, given 35. his age and all that. Yeah, I mean, this. I, I don't know if anyone's going to use him as more than a part-time player next year. Kevin Kiermeyer also with health, has improved this year. He's kind of in that ideal fourth he's outfielder on the role. Yeah, he's hurt right now, so he doesn't help. <laughs> he's where he often goes, unfortunately. But I think they've done a good job of, like, you know, a team that's, you know, I think Tampa, like, had to depend on it a little bit more, and Toronto's more like, no, we're adding you as an extra piece, you know? Mm-hmm. So they were able, I think they were able to get a lot out of him in terms of only using him in the right moments, uh, in terms of platoon stuff, uh, giving him load management, you know, all sorts of stuff. And and the the injury he's on for now is not one of his typical kind of soft tissue injuries. It's, he you know, he got a laceration on his arm by making a big catch up against the fence. Yeah, that's just a you know, minor injury that he'll be back from soon. The hip stuff he was dealing with was pretty serious too. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Uh, Giancarlo Stanton down to 24.4%. There's a massive gap between his rest of season projections and what he's done so far. Yeah, do I don't know. You didn't put this on the rundown, but uh, there was a we got a question, or maybe I got it. I don't know where I got it. So sorry. Uh, thanks for the question, and I'm sorry I'm not <laughs> giving you a shout out. But uh, Ramon Laureano, I couldn't replicate that. That was an email. Uh, Ramon Ramon Laureano's projection for the rest of the season. I I ran the auction calculator. And I came up with um, a number outside the top 100, like outfielder number 147 the rest of the way. So I don't know if there was a glitch in the calculator or in the projections or if the settings were just weird, but his rest of season projections look normal to me. I noticed him when I was writing everybody up as one of the best names available at the trade deadline um, in terms of his rest of season projection. Maybe his rest of season projections look normal to you, but they are a far distance from where he is, especially if you use the bad X, because he's at 84 WRC plus. Last year was at 96 WRC plus, and the bad X has 106, you know. So that's a number he hasn't reached since 2021. Um, and so you're kind of like, I, I can see like looking at that and being like, well, dude hasn't been this guy for a while now. Why are you projecting these things for him? Um, and I get that same sort of vibe from Stanton. And yet I know how it happened is like, you know, there's still Stanton is still, uh, barreling the ball 16% of the time. Like that's, you know, his career rate is 17%. His max is 118. His career is 122. Like he's still spanking the ball. Um, and he's done it with a better K rate. So I can see how 
despite having 96 WRC plus this year and a 115 last year. This is very Loriano-esque. A 137 in 2021, the bad X says 135 rest of season because he's still hitting the ball hard and he's making better contact. And, you know, it's basically saying, yeah, he still has that like 250, 260 in him. But I get, you know, why people don't believe it. And, you know, Loriano's a little bit younger. In Stanton's case, a projected bounce back is you know, at 33 years old. You don't necessarily believe it. Um, but I have rostered him in a couple of places just being like, hey, he was free for me. This is a good K rate for him. It's still a really good barrel rate. He could still go off. And, um, but I have to say that I don't know that I believe it so much that I would, like in real life, would I trade for Stanton? No way, unless they ate all of it. And, <laughs> right. and, and in the real life, the test case for Molo was nobody wanted him when they had to pay for him. No, but Cleveland took the chance for free, though. For free, which and was I get right. I, I mean, I definitely for free would take the flyer. There are plenty of players on that than AJ worse. Pollock, San Francisco. <laughs> yeah, and Ramon Laureano could have just you know commuted a little further and kept the same <laughs> right. living situation. That would have been a little more convenient for him. But the the playing time opportunity in Cleveland probably a little bit of a, a wider window there. Here's the question with Stanton, and it connects to stuff people ask us about a lot. If you look at rest of season projections, those are more optimistic than the X stats. But even at this point, the X stats say he deserves a, a 230 average and a 508 slug, which, OK, I, I think I could sort of let's sort of split in the difference between the player he's been, the player, the projections say he'll be the rest of the way. And it sort of fits in with what has happened on balls in play for Stanton going back to last season. Now we're looking at his last 700 plate appearances and he's probably running about a 210 215 BABIP sort of merging those together his sprint speed's in the fourth percentile right <laughs> he's a bad runner are you saying like all the infielders are on the on the edge of the grass or whatever right like he, we're at the point now in his career where teams can play him a lot differently this happened to Albert Pujols it's happened yeah. to other sluggers where the defense plays you in a way where you will run lower BABIPs they will take more hits away from you because they can. They can cheat against you because of your flaws as a player. So that's where I might say I can convince myself if I'm either picking up Stanton in a shadow league or more likely trying to trade for him or I'm chasing power, it's likely still a liability in batting average, even though power and run production should still be there. Yeah, I'd like I'd focus a little bit more on the 514 expected slugging than the 232 expected BA because you know, the expected BA does, you know, can factor in sprint speed. I'm pretty sure it does. Um, but I don't know that it has the ability to factor in sort of like secondary effects, you know, like, you know, like, does it, does it use sprint speed linearly where it's like, you know, this is the effect of sprint speed where it's like, well, actually there's a cliff once you're like the slowest person in baseball. <laughs> there's, there are things that the defenders can do when you're the slowest person in baseball that they can't do when you're in the 10th percentile. You know what I mean? Right. And you want to do that because he still hits the ball so hard that you, you want more time to react to it, but you have the benefit of positioning yourself that way because he doesn't run well. If he ran better, it would be something you wouldn't be able to do quite as easily, or at least we would be able to take advantage of it as much on the defensive side. Uh, Michael Harris is the last player among the improvers that we should talk about, down to 18.4%. Got up to that really slow start post-injury when he came back to begin 2023. 
he's still buried in that Atlanta lineup for now. If you think about the longer term view for keeper in dynasty leagues, there's a, a world in which Michael Harris hits a lot higher in the Atlanta lineup someday than he does right now. But that'll probably hold those counting stats back a little bit in the short term. The skills, though, look just as good, if not better they did upon arrival, and he was a player that was kind of in the what top 30, top 35 for ADP, and I wasn't on board right away because of the What do you think will happen to his, his, his ADP next year? That's what I was going to get to. It's like, is he, is he going to be a round or two cheaper in 2024 drafts, even though he's been better in some of these underlying metrics? I think I'd be, like, I think I'll be more inclined to draft him next year. If the price is the same, would you still be in? I think so, because, you know, now I'm looking at him and I'm like, 22, you're starting to put up the numbers you put up in the in the minor leagues, except for the walk numbers, right? Then your chase your chase rates got, got better, and your contact rates got better, and now you're looking, like, everything looks like it does in the minor leagues, except for walk rate. Now, if you can bump that walk rate from 6 to 8 or 9... And you've got a 9% walk rate, 18% strikeout rate, 200 ISO, all things that are like within his grasp. Yeah, then why aren't you, you know, you've got to be one through four. Yeah, the summer ADP, I've seen 10 NFBC drafts that have run since July 1st. 48th overall is where he landed with a range of 33 to 82 Oh my God! If he like if he's dropping like if he's dropping into the seventies in my draft, he's not getting past me. I don't think that happens. I, I think I think the the latest he's going to go is going to be about pick fifty if the current path holds. And I think even that is going to be an early draft season thing. People are going to dig a little, little dig in a little deeper, and he's going to creep back up close to where he was going this year. But I'm in. There is a, a weird thing that happens at forty five fifty, like. If it's like under 45 in 15 team leagues and everyone's so focused on, I got to leave these first three rounds with a, a starting pitcher, you know, uh, will, will you go so far as to go bat starting pitcher Michael Harris as your second bat and not take another starting pitcher or not take a closer? Um, I think I, I love him to death in the fourth round where like either he's my third bat or I went bat pitcher pitcher bat you know but uh so it'll get there'll be some like there are these like sort of tricks in the game of when to take players and stuff where he he's going to be on the cusp of of some stuff uh but generally i think i like him better i like him better now he's improved and he's improved in ways that i think are really important for his future and if he was going to be a guy who struck who walked four percent of the time and struck out 24 percent of the time that wasn't going to be a guy that I could depend on to be at the top of the of the uh, lineup. It'd be more of a guy that was in there a little bit more for his defense than his offense. You know what I mean? Yeah, but I, I think there's a lot to like in this profile right now here in year two for Michael Harris. The other part of the question that goes back to the beginning of our episode, Mags on Twitter wanted to know how much weight will the improvement in Acuna's K percentage have on future projections, right? Like what's it going to spit out if he stays in this 12% range, something close to that compared to those previous norms that were quite a bit higher, I started to look back at other players that have made big leaps over the last few years. There's a handful of guys. Trevor Story back in 2018 got down to 25.6%. 
came down from 34.4% with the K rate. In the years after that, he stayed pretty close to 25.6. He was like 23 to 26.5% for the next three seasons, and then he jumped up over 30% in 2022, but the elbow injury he had probably was a factor, and leaving Colorado going to Boston probably contributed to that as well, plus some other injuries. Devers, who you mentioned earlier, big improver back in 2019, got down to 17% in the K rate, uh, jumped up in the shortened season, which I basically threw out for these purposes, you know, 60 games or less. Your K rate can do some pretty funny things, but then 21.5%, 18.6%, 19.7%. Kept those gains once he got there. Uh, maybe the trickiest one of all, Matt Olson. Mm. His previous range, so his improvement year was 2021. He got down to 16.8%. If you look back at the previous season, it's the useless 2020 season. He was over 30. His previous ranges were 247 to 27.8%. So that's still a massive improvement, even if you go off of what he had done pre-2020. You look at what he's done in the time since then, back up to 24.3% in 2022 and 256 in 2023. So just a one-year blip. I don't know how it happened. I don't know if he'll ever get it back again, but he doesn't need to. He's a really good player the way he is. But that that might go down as one of the more unusual hitter K percentage seasons we'll ever see. Mm-hmm. Because his approach didn't ever didn't ever look like an approach that was going to yield a much better K percentage. He did it over a full season too. He wasn't hurt. It wasn't like he played a hundred games that year. It was honestly, like a max volume risk season. That that's that's true for Acuna, like because you know, it this could be just one of those one shining seasons where it's like this is his MVP, you know, peak season. I mean he's twenty five years old and he's, you know, now fully healthy and you know, maybe next year they attack him a little bit harder. They find a way to, you know, you know, he's still not great out over the plate and up. You know, maybe they just uh, manage to to use that, uh, you know, hit that corner more often than they do this year or whatever it is. You know, certain sort of scouting reports have to catch up, and there's still there's still that risk. I mean, what you can see is in rest of season projections, which you know are a good proxy for next season. You you've seen already an improvement in you know preseason projections. Acuna was uh, 23 to 24%. Right now, it's 17 to 18%, with Zips being the laggard at 19%. Uh, but uh, all of those are, uh, you know, a four, at least four percentage point improvement over his preseason um, projections in terms of strikeout rate for Acuna. So uh, they're, they're definitely going to change their, this is definitely going to change his projections for next year. I would say that he'll be projected for about an 18% strikeout rate next year. Yeah, I, I think splitting the difference between last year and this year is usually a good place to start. It doesn't surprise me that that's basically where the rest of season K rate has gone. So I really appreciate that question from Mags on Twitter. And uh, I, I think it's also interesting, unless you're in a league that counts all of Otani's stats as both a hitter and a pitcher, I think Acuna is the, the clearest 1-1 that we've had in a few years looking ahead to next year. Like mm-hmm. Your KDS sometimes, you don't take the first pick because you like the combination of players that you get from this other one spots. You want I think it's a slam dunk. It's one, and then what do you want after that? Based on all the stuff, maybe we're in right leagues now. where you can use Otani as a pitcher or hitter, he's actually one one. But I mean, that's you know, that's specific to your league. Yeah, very very unique circumstances if your league plays that way. As far as the hitters that have gone the other direction, guys that have gotten a lot worse by K percentage, we mentioned Michael A. Taylor earlier, DJ LeMahieu, a guy that has really made putting the ball in play the, the cornerstone of his profile. That's just what he does. 
uh, well past age 30 now, you see massive losses in the K percentage column for a player like that. And you start to think, ooh, is, is the end near or is at least going to be an offseason where a massive rebuild is in store if he's going to salvage something these next couple seasons? Yeah, 100%. I, 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 I totally think of uh, of a, a booming strikeout rate as as one of the you know one of the ways to kind of spot you know a, a precipitous decline. If you look at the age aging curves on uh, on components, one of my favorite pieces of all time is Bill Petty's uh, piece uh, called uh, "Hitter Aging Curves uh, Plate Discipline." It's it's 2012, so it's a bit old. I wonder I wonder uh, you could maybe use a refresh, but um, for my eye, a lot of these things uh, reach, uh, ring true still, which is uh, there's a, a massive downturn in your ability to make contact on pitches outside the zone at 28. Uh, and then there's a, uh, a, a plateau uh, from like sort of 32 to 37, and then another one, uh, another decline after that. Um, and then in terms of uh, making uh, contact on pitches in the zone, that's fairly steady, but at 33, uh, it takes a pretty big downturn. Um, and so if you, you know, put that together, if you're making less contact in the zone and making less contact outside the zone, uh, after 33, that's, uh, ripe for, uh, you know, problems, you know, yeah, and, and that and, drops and then, in both. Uh, what the uh, interesting thing you'll see also is a, a batter's zone percentage starts going up big time in 33%. And that's just a reaction to, oh, I can beat you in the zone now, you know? And so that's uh, that's terrible because if you're missing those pitches in the zone and you're not doing damage to them, that's that's sort of when uh, things fall apart. And in fact, this is the best zone percentage against DJ Mayhew since 2018. Uh, so they've begun doing the thing where you know they're like, "Wow, you're not even making contact on pitches in the zone like you used to. You're definitely not doing damage on them, and I'm not afraid of you, and I'm I'm coming in there." And uh, and you're whiffing anyway, so that's that's usually a really bad combination of skills and situations. Yeah, I mean, could be some lost bat speed. Who knows if if the various injuries he's dealt with in recent years have become part of the problem? Also, interesting to see that DJ LeMahieu was pulling the ball more than ever. That's just not his game. So it just it seems like there's a a lot to potentially try and fix. Uh, this is a guy that's probably around for a couple more seasons at the Yankees because he's got three more years left on. That contract extension that he signed ended up being, years back. It was a le- it was a it was a deal that when it was first signed I didn't get because it seemed like a lot of money for a, a team that already had a lot of uh, positions you know players at his positions, and then immediately had 655 plate appearances uh, with the Yankees and a 136 WRC plus, and I said oh, okay, all right, all right, yeah, they had they had room for him, um, and then that was his last good season. You know, he, you know, the next two seasons, you know, he managed to, you know, I guess, you know, I guess the last three seasons, 2021, 2022, you, you, you think they're really bad seasons, but he did manage to put up two wins in each of those seasons. Yeah, playing all over, getting on base. It, it's a nice, like real life profile. He just hasn't been useful in fantasy for all those years, right? Yeah. Cause of the low home run totals, right? That 2019, 26 homer year, that, 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 kind of sticks out like a sore thumb but it's a little bit like the Jeff McNeil thing even when they both had those massive power seasons they both had multi-position eligibility the fantasy circles around those guys they were treated the same way at that time 
McNeil being a few years younger, I look at those two and I think if I had to bet on one for next year, I'd be more inclined to bet on McNeil because he'll be 32 next April and LeMahieu just turned 35 in July. So the three-year age difference helps. Hasn't had the huge you know, strikeout rate you know, changes or anything. Yeah, so I don't know if there's, a, at least as of now, I don't know if I have a reason to believe in a big bounce back for DJ LeMahieu. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is meme mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The other player that I think is really interesting on this list is Luis Robert. You look at 28.7% for the carry. That's up 9.5 percentage points. Is this just the true talent really kind of coming through since we're seeing more of him this year than we have in past years? This is his healthiest season so far. The benefit has been a career high barrel rate. So you're going to swing and miss more. You've got to hit more barrels. He's done that. Uh, we're seeing Robert swing less in the zone but he's still chasing out of the zone the way he really always has, just under 40% with that chase rate. So is it what you see is what you get right now, or is there still something here that makes you think he could whittle away a little bit at that K rate based on some better numbers in the past and do it with the power that he's shown at various points throughout his career? Well, you know, between 20... 21 and 2022 he had basically a 16% strikeout a 16% swing strike rate and uh, he's not even showing on this because how how many plate appearances do you have between those two seasons combined like last 2021 was 296 2022 was 401 all right so I'm going to I'm going to set the the level at 500 plate appearances between 2021 and 2022 combined I'm going to sort by swinging strike rate, and there he is, 21st uh, worst swinging strike rate, uh, you know, those two years. And it hasn't changed that much this year. My point is, those are the years that he had a combined 19.8% strikeout rate, despite having this 15.6% swing strike rate. And I'll just uh, put out there that that doesn't make any dang sense, because if you look at everybody else that's on this page i have a top 30 page here with all these guys sorted by swing strike rate there is not a single other person that has below a 20 percent strikeout rate so he's the only one that that swung and missed that much in those two years and had less than a 20 percent strikeout rate the next one is edmund sosa 
with a 21.9, and he only had 516 plate appearances. So we could have changed the 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 number of plate appearances, and he disappears. Right. The next one is Willie Castro with a 227 again. This is not someone that you'd say, I know his true talent, right? And the only person that should give you any hope, the next person on the list, is Nick Castellanos with a 22% strikeout rate. But this is a guy that we've always said, there's like a weird combination with Nick Castellanos of like great hit tool and a lot of swing and miss, right? Isn't that, that's sort of, you know, that's sort of the book on Nick Castellanos as, I, as I've, you know, written in my head. And if you go past him, the next person is Eloy Jimenez at 23, Nick Gordon at 24. And if you took an average of this page, it's like 28. So, you know, I think this is more just us learning a little bit more about who Luis is. Because Robert, like... He, you know, he always swung and missed this much, and I think this is who he is. And it's really, it's, it can be really fun to watch, it, and it, it's really valuable in fantasy, and I don't know that I'm going to ding him too hard uh, for this aspect of his game, but if you combine it with the injuries, um, I think a little bit of a trap next year? Um, cost is sort of a, a factor in but all But don't you think cost will skyrocket a little bit? I mean, he's going to end the season 40-20, maybe? He's got a shot at it. The July ADP that I mentioned earlier, 27th overall. So in a 15-team league, back of round two. You're not worried that there's a trap in there at all? No, there's definitely trap potential because of the injuries. And his yeah. injuries were, if memory serves, a more soft tissue, right? So they're, they're always the kind that can come back. What are Robert's? Like leg injuries? Honestly, it was mostly legs. I got to get the injury log going for him again. But it's just that that approach that the K rate matches how much he chases outside the zone for me. Those numbers make sense. The way yeah. they were didn't make sense. And then it comes back to: Are you comfortable with the way the way you have to take a potentially near thirty percent K rate over a full season with the injury risk? Are you comfortable enough with everything else to to let that go? We've had to answer that question with Adelise Garcia. Uh, I just put, I just called up Adelise Garcia's name. But the but Adelise Garcia is, actually chases less. He's chasing less this year. The previous two seasons, he was in that right around forty percent club. If the barrel rate's good enough, if you can also steal bases, if you play every day by by design, which Robert does, of course, as long as he's hurt, as long as he's not hurt. I think this can work. Adelis Garcia is walking more than ever, up to yeah, a ten percent walk rate this he's year. Chasing which is a really, lot less. Yeah, I mean, and he's geez, doing this at age thirty. So if you look at the guy that's kind of on the upward trajectory, being a few years younger, the guy who's on the better team, making unexpected changes at age thirty, straight up, who do you prefer? Rest of this season, and then even for twenty twenty four, who do you think is the the better player between Robert and Adelis Garcia? I'm going to take the younger player, Luis, for me. Mm. I just, I feel like, you know, now we're like, what, what is the source of Adelis Garcia's improvement? There, there's, we've gone through, you know, uh, different aspects in terms of approach. Uh, maybe he's got Donnie Ecker now, maybe in terms of, you know, how he uh, gets ready for games. 
Uh, and then maybe just familiarity with the league because, you know, he's a late debut, Adelis Garcia. Um, so, you know, now he's just getting familiar with the league. I think some of those uh, aspects are true for uh, for Robert because he, he was his playing time was so inconsistent due to injury that this is like one of the times that he's like getting going. So like, what if next year, despite all these terrible flaws, he chases thirty nine percent of the time and swinging strikes uh, swing swinging strikes fifteen percent of the time and gets that K rate down to. Just like twenty five percent, he's projected at twenty four percent. What do you guess at the twenty five percent? You know, uh, I, you know, there could be uh, some gains in batting average. There, there could still be like a two ninety thirty thirty season in there. There could be. The other it. factor in all of this <laughs> is like, what is the rest of that lineup going to look like for the White oh, Sox? Oh gosh. Going apples to apples and just looking at them side by side, uh, Garcia's running a lot less. He's 7 for 7 as a base dealer, but 25 bags last year down to 7 this year. That'll happen with better teams too. Like, don't don't run. You know, the guy behind you can drive you in. Right. So maybe you, you can comfortably see a difference of 15 to 20 steals favoring Robert. But if you were betting on run and RBI production, what are you, 15, 20 more in each column probably for Garcia based on what we know about those two lineups today. And then the average thing is really tough because unless the K rate's coming down, I have a hard time believing it despite flashes of it before. I don't see Robert reaching that 290 average yeah. that the, the bat, the bat X has him at 290 for a rest you know, of season. Crazy. I, 290 for Jackson with a 23.5% strikeout rate. I just, I don't know if I believe that one. I mean, like, I said it, it, I just said it, but I said it more like, Maybe he could do it next year with, you know, runway and having played healthily for like, you know, two seasons in a row, you know. Yeah, it's going to be a tough one to think about in the uh, the months ahead. And then the uh, last player going the wrong direction on the laggard board. Tyro Estrada has a 25.2% K rate, chasing more outside the zone than he did in the previous two seasons. I think it's going to be tough for him to continue playing in an everyday role if he's unable to bring that K rate back down. I think that's something that would kind of nudge him into an 80% or 85% playing time share and down from the 100% share that he was previously getting. Especially just because of his team, you know? They're they're just going to be a team that, like, says, oh, you know, against tough lefties, we're going to... I mean, against tough righties, we're going to start setting you a little bit. You know, we're going to identify who you strike out against the most you've got uh, you know uh some issues with split fingers or curveballs you know according to pitch type values and i'm not saying this is exactly what it is but maybe they did some modeling they're like you know your swing could have some issues with those and there's a big uh righty on the mound with curveballs and you know you've got you know a 315 true talent obp when you're striking out 25 percent of the time and you know we kind of we think that, you know, Brett Wisely can do a better job or whatever it is, you know. <laughs> There's always a Brett Wisely waiting to steal your job in San Francisco. <laughs> it's got to be frustrating. You're always looking over your shoulder. Oh, Isan Diaz, Brett Wisely. Oh, always. I want to do something real quick. Hmm. Uh, batting leaders qualified San Francisco Giants. How many do you think they have? Just qualified leaders, like enough players who played yeah. enough. Just yeah, how many batters do you think they have that are qualified for the batting title? 
two? That's <laughs> a good guess. Uh, Wade Jr., J.D. Davis, and Michael Conforto. Yeah, I wasn't sure if... And uh, the, if <laughs> Davis has 408. The other two don't even have 400 plate appearances. Yeah, it's, it's not... It's not normal. <laughs> it's working for them, but it's not normal. <laughs> yeah. Not what we're accustomed to. Uh, a couple of quick things to follow up on. Shane McClanahan, highly unlikely to pitch again this year. We were concerned about that. And we talked about it a bit more in detail on Monday's episode. So uh, potential winter of uncertainty. We'll see what the next couple of weeks bring as far as potential updates on him. Uh, Brett Beatty was demoted recently by the Mets, which I, I don't know how I feel about that either. It's a little bit like the Luis Garcia situation where if you think he's major league ready, unless you think that he's actively doing long-term damage, like he's losing confidence and, and falling apart in a way where there could be some longer-term issues, why wouldn't you just let him keep playing? Defensively, there are issues to iron out for Brett Beatty. That's been very clear so far this year, and he's underperformed as a hitter for a guy that I thought was going to come up and hit right away. It's been a 77 WRC plus over 311 plate appearances. I'm curious, given both of those issues in his first full opportunity this year with the Mets, how much has your long-term outlook for Beatty changed? Two things come to mind. One is I I interviewed him at the Futures game and said, are you concerned with all the ground balls? And he said, I'm just trying to hit the the ball hard, baby. And, you know. Did he call you baby? Huh? Did he call you baby? No. No. I mean, he did it with his big smile, you know, like, you know, he, <laughs> he, he, he's got a, a engaging personality and, um, you know, I was, and I, and I, and I bought it and yet this is the issue. This is the issue. He still has a 53, 51% ground ball rate. And though he has hit the ball 113, 113.7 this year, Brett Beatty, uh, is not, um, lifting the ball enough to take advantage of that power. So, uh, the, the other thing that I think of is that I talked to a, a front office executive recently, and they mentioned that um, they'd seen value in a reset, that they, they'd they done some research on this, and that there is a possible value in resetting. Well, yeah, I guess you have to consider your environment, too. There's a, To me, there's actually a pretty clear difference between the Nationals rebuild and, and the Washington. Mets dumpster fire right now. Like, yeah. <laughs> Yes, there's a, a there are different levels of pressure in those two places at this time, despite the Mets' 2023 shortcomings. And beyond uh, just you know Washington versus New York, or how bad it is in Washington versus how bad it is in New York, or how quickly they want to turn around in New York versus how quickly they're going to do it in in in, um, in Washington, is that you know I you know Jeter Downs was hitting 175, 301, 333 with a 60 WRC plus at 25 years old in AAA for Washington. This is the person they've called up to play more second base. Yeah, that's very nuts. I don't get that. In New York, at least, you get the benefit of a reset with Brett Beatty, perhaps some work on mechanics outside of like everyone bugging you every day about why you're hitting the ball on the ground so much outside of the lights. And then you also get the added benefit of answering the question, can Mark Vientos play third base? And, and, and you know, can he make enough contact to take advantage of what 
is prodigious power and barrel rate. So you can answer two questions about Mark Vientos better if you can play him every day uh, with Brett Beatty down in the minors. So, you know, just Brett, you know, basically Mark Vientos being better than Jeter Downs, uh, you know, uh, and then also the value of a reset. I think there is a slightly different situation. Also, Luis Garcia has been around longer than Brett Beatty. <laughs> mm-hmm. So is that? all of these things, I, I think it is, it, it, maybe we were harsh, too harsh on Washington given, the, you know, we're giving the Mets a little pass on this one, but, you know, I do think the situation is a little bit different. Beatty has torn the cover off the ball in his brief time at AAA, so this may be a pretty short demotion. You'd like to see him come back for most of the rest of the season and put some things together and hit the ground running in 2024. It wouldn't be surprising to me if it happened I'd like him as a player to get back in your late season trades. If you're looking to head to next season, think he could be in the heart of that order. I don't the guy think Santos get... can play third. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there's there's even greater defensive question with Vientos. Um, I also think the Mets could help themselves out by saying goodbye to Daniel Vogelbach. I know we we like him on this pod, but free yourself uh, of of Daniel Vogelbach on the roster, and then you've got a DH spot where. Beatty doesn't have to necessarily be in the field every day, or Vientos doesn't have to be in the field. You at least give yourself one more spot to look at those players, and you can't have a guy that's an everyday or big side platoon DH with a below-average line. You can't tolerate that if you're a contending team, so that might be the move that eventually happens just to let both Beatty and Vientos play together on a regular basis at some point down the stretch. Yeah, and those projections that say that, you know, Vogelbach can be 10% better than league average. They seem to be calling back to some times when he hit the ball harder. Uh, 6% barrel rate this year. Hmm. Yeah, where did where did that go? My yeah, goodness. I don't, I don't get it. Um, I've seen him hit and be, I'm surprisingly, I'm surprised sometimes by like how it seems more like a guy who's trying to hit for a single than a guy who's trying to hit for a homer. Yeah, ground ball rate spiked up to 47.6% this year. Hard hit rate's still there, so I, I don't know. Like, what are you, what are you doing, though? What, why are you... Yeah, what's the upside here? It's, it's like it's an not part okay, of your future. credible DH for one year uh, on, like, a $4 million salary or something. A soon-to-be 31-year-old DH, so yeah. you can get this one right, Mets. Uh, a couple mailbag questions here. Let's actually just pick one for today. We'll save one for a future episode. We mentioned X stats a little bit earlier in the episode. This one came from Rob. Rob writes, I know Eno has been on Paredes since preseason. has really been working out. When I look at his Fangraphs X stats, I see expected numbers really far below the actual results. Would you guys mind walking through how to interpret this situation? Thanks, as always, Rob. Uh, we've talked about Paredes probably back in May or June, and it's just yanking the ball like just pulling the ball to get to the power and doing that really really well I think the comp at the time that you put out there was in Brian Dozier that worked for Brian Dozier for a very long time Alex and Bregman Bregman does it as well um, Marcus Simeon does it actually a little bit yeah so is that is that a satisfactory is that a full explanation for, for this or are we looking at a correction for Paredes but maybe a guy that will continue to outperform his X stats so long as he maintains this sort of unique skill? Yeah, it's a tough one. Um, I, I would say that there's a little bit of tenuousness to it to where 
you know, I, I I wasn't at all surprised to see Paredes involved in trade offers in Dynasty Leagues. Right. It, I was sort of like, ah, yep, you know, that makes sense. And then, and I didn't take them. I didn't take those offers, you know. Uh, so I, I think it's a little bit tenuous year to year because you're, you're, you're relying, if you look at Dozier, just look at his home run totals. You look at Bregman, look at his home run totals. Like, you know, uh, it isn't necessarily something that leads to consistent power every year. You're, you're trying to make the very most of the barrels you do have by pulling every single barrel. I get it. But I, I think that that is not something you can do all the time. It's like, how do you think that a batter could like point to a place in the field and like hit the ball there over and over again? It yeah, depends how big, how big you make those pie wedges. To some degree, yes. Right. To some degree, yes. But also, once it becomes obvious, also they're trying to hit it to those pie wedges. How long till pitchers find a way to not let you hit it to those pie wedges? Right. How long does it take for opposing teams to work up a game plan that reduces your ability to just yank homers against them? So I I do find Paredes risky, but in a in a in like a one year league, uh, in a redraft league, I'm just uh, it's YOLO time. I mean, it's you know he's hitting 250, 22 homers, it didn't cost you anything. Uh, I I kind of doubt that he's going to go all the way down to a 222 xba and a three uh, 364 x slugging. But even if he did, you know, it'd be you know I don't I don't think it'll be like such a precipitous fall off you know even if he did do that you'd still end the season with a guy who hit you know 230 240 and 30 homers for you yeah it's been a, a really really nice late round pickup especially with the position versatility you know you can play him almost anywhere uh but as you'd expect all those homers clustered up on that left side i saw the bally's or whatever the Rays regional network is these days. If it's still Bally's, I don't even know. But they had the graphic up. <laughs> yeah, it's left, all down the center, line. <laughs> right. They're all in the left pie Kepler's, wedge. It was, it was Kepler's done this for a lefty too. Yeah, yeah. And I just think if you're going to do that, then and you're going to hit the ball in the air a lot, even though it's a good strikeout rate and a good walk rate, it could be a low average good OBP future. It could be a 230, 325, 330 line with of kind of up and down slug. Kepler. That's, it reminds me of Kepler. Just, it's a little bit like that. That's that's at the downside of the range, right? Yeah. So it, it's a big, it's a big range of outcomes. It, the bad versions of Max Kepler versus the good versions of Bregman and Dozier. Well, if it, if the good version of the latter players is possible, you might want to be in again on Paredes. And I didn't even look at where he was going in those July drafts. See, the market's generally skeptical. 173 was the ADP for a guy that's first, second, and third base eligible. Have you ever tried selling Max Kepler in a dynasty you can't. league? You know, no. Who's buying? For a few years, I know you were into him. Like who? But who else was like fully buying into Max Kepler? I mean, I I think I bought him in my dynasty league, and I didn't. I didn't have to pay much, and I thought, yeah, yeah I got a cheap guy, and you know, hey. In, I got 19 homers and 10 stolen bases in 2021 with the 306 OBP. Like that plays in our league, so I I didn't I didn't get hurt too badly. But uh, you know, I do think the downside of Kepler is 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 worth thinking here. So as long as you don't pay too much, like you know, if you get him thrown in or something. But if he's the centerpiece for a trade, I'd I'd watch out a little bit. Yeah, Isak Paredes, 29.1 percent hard hit rate down from last year. He was at 38.7 last year. Part of what we liked about him 
was that he was hitting the ball hard and not striking out. He's still not striking out a lot, but losing a lot from that hard hit rate, that is a bit of a red flag. So yeah, the gap, <laughs> the gap is hard to completely explain, but a lot of it is a pretty unique approach that's enabled him to get away with it, at least for now. It might be pretty telling if the Rays flip him this offseason. Like there's a, a shelf life for Holland. I think a particular player can pull They're that treating off. Treating him like a, a reliever. <laughs> yeah. We got, we would... got a couple of good seasons out of him. We're done. Yeah, that's that's one thing I would keep an eye out for. If, if he's still a Ray next year, then, well, they probably believe he can pull this trick again for another season in 2024. Uh, we are going to go on our way out the door. A reminder, you can reach us by emailing us, ratesandbarrels at gmail.com. You can drop a comment under this video on YouTube. You can find Eno on Twitter at Eno Saris. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. If you don't have a subscription to The Athletic, $2 a month gets you in the door at athletic.com slash ratesandbarrels. That's going to do it for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We're back with you on Friday. Thanks for listening. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.